were saying at Sabbath School, it's nice to have spring, isn't it? And see the sunshine and a little warmer weather. What did you find when you heard those two verses this morning? Almost like, can you be talking about the same person? It's talking about Satan being an angel of light, and then it's talking about Satan being like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The name of the sermon, as you see in your bulletin, is The Two Crises. And we are told, not only from the Bible, but through the spirit of prophecy, of the two main crises that are coming upon uh, the world as we get to the very end of time. And I'm going to read today and, and maybe discuss a little bit uh, these two crises and ask the question, are you ready for these? They're not going to be as easy as it seems. On the surface, we think to ourselves, oh yeah, I'm ready for whatever's going to happen. But as you listen to some of the inspired commentary by Ellen White on these two crises, we come to the conclusion that they are not going to be easy at all. And in fact, it's going to be very difficult to stay true to our beliefs as we go through that. I want you to just open your Bibles to Revelation 13. I'm going to read a few verses here, and that's going to be preliminary to some of the comments about these two crises, and I'll tell you what they are as soon as we read these verses. So turn to Revelation chapter 13, and I'm going to read verses 11 through 17. And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb. And he spake like a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him and causes the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound is healed. So what is this final test about? It says it's about worship. Okay. And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he what? He deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of these miracles, which he had the power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by the sword and did live. He also had power to give life unto this image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image should be killed. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehands, foreheads, that no man might buy or sell, save he that has the mark, the name, or the number of his name. Can you guess by now what the two crises are going to be at the very end of time? Okay. One of them is the Sabbath question. Who do we worship? When do we worship? Do we worship how God told us to, or do we worship how man has told us to? And the second crisis comes just after that. It's when Satan appears as Christ, deceiving the whole world with his power to do miracles, 
with the power that his followers have to do miracles and so on. Those are the two great crisis tests that are going to come to God's people at the very end. And so I'm going to start reading some quotes about the first one, about the Sabbath. When Protestant churches shall unite with the secular power to sustain a false religion, remember it's all about worship, isn't it, it said, for opposing which their ancestors endured the fiercest persecution, then will the papal Sabbath be enforced by the combined authority of church and state. Here will be a national apostasy which will end only in national ruin. God has set a limit, hasn't he, of what man will do and how far he will let man go. And here is told that when our nation departs from its freedom of religion, uh, freedom to worship how you want, and starts enforcing the beast's day of worship, the natural result after that is going to be national ruin. God will withdraw his influences from, and his blessings from our nation, and very bad things will happen after that. The same mastermind that plotted against the faithful in ages past is still seeking to rid the earth of those who fear God and obey his law. Satan will excite indignation against the humble minority who conscientiously refuse to accept popular customs and traditions. Men of position and reputation will join with the lawless and the vile to take counsel against the people of God. Wealth, genius, education will combine to cover them with contempt. Now think about that for a moment. What is one of the things that really is hardest to take? Some people think, well, it's actually the physical persecution. But I think sometimes it's much harder to take the mental persecution, the contempt that's heaped upon you, the uh, ridicule, that you may have to endure and so on. I think that's much, much harder to endure because you start asking yourself the question, well, am I really right? Maybe I was wrong. Persecuting rulers, ministers, and church members will conspire against them with voice and pen by boasts, threats, and ridicule. They will seek to overthrow their faith by false representations and angry appeals they will stir up the passion of the people. Not having a thus saith the scriptures to bring against the advocates of the Bible Sabbath, they will resort to oppressive enactments to supply the lack. Isn't that interesting? Because they don't have the Bible backing them up, they will do all kinds of other things to try to make up the lack for that. All who will not bow to the decrees of the national councils and obey the national laws to exalt the Sabbath instituted by the man of sin to the disregard of God's holy day will feel not the oppressive power of the papacy alone, but of the Protestant world as well, the image to the beast. So it's not going to be as if just one portion of Christianity will be against God's people in the Sabbath Sunday question. It's that everyone will be against those who keep the Sabbath. Every single church that is not following the Sabbath will be putting all kinds of pressure and arguments and everything else to prove that you are wrong. And there's usually only a certain 
I don't know, how shall I say it? There's only a certain amount that we can take sometimes in the way of, of uh, mental persecution or uh, people telling us are wrong because then you really do start thinking, well, maybe I am wrong. This is a very interesting statement. There will be a time when because of our advocacy of Bible truth, we shall be treated as traitors. Now, how do you feel about traitors? We've had several in the last 30, 40 years, people in this country who have given secrets to the Russians or to other people. And usually when that comes out in the news, our attitude towards them is what? I saw Dorothy back there. She was going like this. That's how we think of traitors. They've, they've um, gone against what their country believes in and what their country uh, stands up for. And we think they're the lowest possible people to do that. And yet that's how those who follow God's law will be looked at as traitors to their country. Think about that. It's going to be a lot of pressure. The popular ministry, like the Pharisees of old, filled with anger as their authority is questioned, will denounce the message as of Satan, the Sabbath, as of Satan, and stir up the sin-loving multitudes to revile and persecute those who proclaim it. So did you know that by keeping the Sabbath, you will be said that you are following Satan? See how they turn it around? The law of God through the agency of Satan is to be made void. In our land of boasted freedom, religious liberty will come to an end. The contest will be decided over the Sabbath question, which will agitate the whole world. And then the author of this book says, the U.S. enactment of the Sunday law will produce three things in order. An image to the beast, the worship of the papacy, and the beginning of the placement of the mark of the beast. That's the sequence and how it will happen. And from Great Controversy, the prophecy of Revelation 13 declares that the power represented by the beast with the lamb-like horns shall cause the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the papacy. They're symbolized by the beast like a leopard. The beast with two horns is also to say to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast. And so everything that will be happening in our country will be to help give authority to the one who instituted Sunday worship in the first place. The special characteristic of the beast and therefore of his image is the breaking of God's commandments. That is the very special uh, characteristic of those who are going to be forcing religious worship of a different day, is that they break God's commandments willingly. After the warning against the worship of the beast in his image, prophecy declares, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Since those who keep God's commandments are thus placed in contrast with those who worship the beast in his image, it follows that the keeping of God's law on the one hand and its violation on the other will make the distinction between the worshipers of God and the worshipers of the beast. 
So Revelation is fairly clear on that, that the commandments or the keeping or breaking them is what's going to be the difference between the two groups on earth at the very end of time. We're either keeping God's commandments or we're choosing to go against them. We can sit here in our pews and say, oh, that's going to be easy because I know that the Sabbath is right. But you've heard of some of the things that are going to be tossed at you. You're traitors. You're working for Satan. Are you going to be sure of where you stand in that last day? And then she goes on to say in Selected Messages, we are Seventh-day Adventists. Are we ashamed of our name? We should answer, no, we are not. It is the name the Lord has given us. And here you thought all along that we just chose that name. It was a name that the Lord gave us. It points out the truth that it is to be the test of the churches in the end time. So the Lord caused that name to be used for a purpose to be a witness to the world in the very last day. A company was presented before me under the name Seventh-day Adventists who were advising that the banner or sign which makes us a distinctive people should not be held out so strikingly, for they claimed it was not the best policy in securing success in our institutions. I don't know if you remember that, but at one point in time, there were people in our church who were saying, Let's not use the name Seventh-day Adventist so clearly and boldly because it makes us harder for us to evangelize. This distinctive banner is to be borne throughout the world to the close of probation, she says. There's a reason why we have that in our name. In the last great conflict of the controversy with Satan, those who are loyal to God will see every earthly support cut off. Every earthly support. Now, who does that remind you of in a biblical story? How about Elijah? Where during the famine, remember, there was absolutely nothing to eat or drink. And God took him to a place where he had something to eat and to drink. And then when the stream dried up, what did he do? Took him to another place that had some food in the widow. So God will provide even though everything else, it says, is cut off. Because they refuse to break his law in obedience to earthly powers, they will be forbidden to buy or sell, and finally decreed that they should be put to death. The time is not far distant when the test will come to every soul. The mark of the beast will be urged upon us. Those who have, and this is really, really important now, listen to this. Those who have step-by-step step yielded to the earthly demands and conformed to worldly customs will not find it a hard matter to yield to the powers that be rather than subject themselves to derision, insult, threatened imprisonment, and threatened death. So what does it say? If little by little by little now you give in to things that are going on, you will not be able to stand in that end time. It's basically what it's saying. We have to make our minds up now, and we have to stay firm on those things now. Otherwise, we will not have built up that strength to go through that last time. 
The Sunday law decrees will be the special sign to leave the large cities. Did you know that? When those law, laws are passed, it is our signal, just like when old Jerusalem, remember when the Roman armies went, uh, circled around it? That was the sign at that point in time when they left for a short period of time for the Christians to get out of Jerusalem and to go to another place. And just as that, this is said to be in the end times. When the Sunday law is passed, we are to get out of the large cities because that's where all the trouble is going to start in the larger cities. You can. We are, to be, we are not, or we are to be very careful not to place ourselves where it will be hard for ourselves and our children to keep the Sabbath. That's why in the cities it will be more difficult because there will be people there to help enforce that, whereas out in the country you'll be a little more isolated. Under the influence of the United States of America, the apostasy will spread throughout the world as other nations enact their own Sunday laws. Foreign nations will follow the example of the United States. Though she leads out, yet the same crisis will come upon our people in every part of the world. The wicked declared that they had the truth, that miracles were among them, that angels from heaven talked with them and walked with them, that great power and signs and wonders were performed among them, and that this was the temporal millennium that they had been expecting for so long. You know how many religions today teach that when Christ comes, he's just going to stay here, and this will be the millennium here on earth, there will be peace on the whole earth, and, and so on. And this is what the people who are not following God are going to declare, that since they're having miracles, they're able to perform miracles, that this is what Christ promised in the Bible. And if you are against that, what are you saying then? You're against what Christ promised in the Bible. It's interesting how they change things around. It seems as if the whole world was converted and in harmony with this new law. Now we'll go to the second of the great crisis tests that will be put upon us. And I think in some ways this will be even harder. Satan himself is converted after the modern order of things. He will appear in the character of an angel of light, as we just read in our verse. Through the agency of spiritualism, miracles will be wrought, the sick will be healed, and many undeniable wonders will be performed. And as the spirits will profess faith in the Bible and manifest respect for the institutions of the church, their work will be accepted as a manifestation of divine power. How are you going to say this is Satan's work when great miracles are going to be taking place, when people will be seemingly healed from cancer and from all kinds of other things? How can you stand there and say this is of Satan? That's going to be pretty tough. Wonderful scenes with which Satan will be closely connected will soon take place. God's word declares that Satan will work miracles. He will make people sick. 
and then will suddenly remove from them his satanic power. They will then be regarded as healed. These works of apparent healing will bring Seventh-day Adventists to the test. Evil angels in the form of believers, and this one paragraph really hits home. Listen to this. Evil angels in the form of believers. Now, what did that say? Evil angels in the form of Buddhists and Confucians and did it say that? No, it says evil angels in the form of believers will work in our ranks to bring in strong spirit of unbelief. Let not even this discourage you, but bring a true heart to the help of the Lord against the powers of satanic agencies. These powers of evil will assemble in our meetings, not to receive a blessing, but to counterwork the influences of the Spirit of God. Didn't know that there were angels attending church sometimes, did you? Evil angels but for a purpose. It is not difficult for evil angels to represent both saints and sinners who have died. So what do angels have power to do? They have power to appear as those who have died. Not only good people, but bad people alike. And to make these representations visible to human eyes. These manifestations will be more frequent and the developments of a more startling character will appear as we end or as we near the close of time. It is Satan's most successful and fascinating delusion, one calculated to take hold of the sympathies of those who have laid their loved ones in the grave. Evil angels come in the form of those loved ones and relate incidents connected with their lives and perform acts which they performed while living. In this way, they lead persons to believe that their dead friends are angels hovering over them and communicating with them. Unless we understand what happens when you die, do you think you can be deceived by what will be happening? I think so. Just like that little boy in the book that was written not too long ago, remember, who said things about his little sister that he had never even met before. And many, many people who read that book have been deceived. As we near the close of time, there will be greater and greater external parade of heathen power. Listen to this. Heathen deities. Now, who are heathen deities? Can you think of any in the Bible? I think of all the heathen deities that were in the Old Testament that the Philistines worship, remember? Baal and Dagon and uh, Astarte and, and Marduk and all the ones that are mentioned in the Bible that had the images that, you know, of stone and metals and everything that the people worshipped, the heathen deities. Heathen deities will manifest their signal power and exhibit themselves before the cities of the world. And this delineation has already begun to be fulfilled. So, 
Don't be surprised if you see Buddha walking around claiming to be the people or person who people worship today. Don't be surprised to see all kinds of other heathen deities, actually angels of Satan, walking around fulfilling what many of those religions were looking for. You know, almost every religion in the world has a teaching of someone coming in the future that will be the savior of the world. Almost every religion, even the heathen ones. So how easy is it going to be for Satan to deceive them if he actually impersonates that deity who those people are expecting? Satan sees that he is about to lose his case. And that's a good thing. Satan knows that at a certain point in time, he's going to lose. The Bible tells him that, so he, he knows. But he's hoping against hope that something will happen to turn that around. Satan sees that he is about to lose his case. He cannot sweep in the whole world. Why? Because some will still be following God and will not be deceived. You're right. He makes one last desperate effort to overcome the faithful by deception. He does this in personating Christ. He clothes himself with the garments of royalty which have been accurately described in the vision of John. Remember in Revelation, what does it say about how Christ looks to John in, in, in the vision? He has white hair. He has glowing garments. He describes exactly what he looks like. And that is exactly how Satan is going to come. He has power to do this. He will appear to his deluded followers, the Christian world, who received not the love of the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness, as Christ coming the second time. He proclaims himself Christ, and he is believed to be Christ a beautiful, majestic being clothed with majesty and with soft voice, pleasant words, with glory unsurpassed by anything mortal eyes have yet beheld. Then his deceived, deluded followers set up a shout of victory. Christ has come! Christ has come! He lifts up his hands just as he did when he was on earth and blessed people. So, I mean, he will come looking like Christ, talking like Christ, motions like Christ, everything will be exactly as the Bible has described what Christ did when he came the first time. One more effort and then Satan's last device is employed. He hears the unceasing cry for Christ to come, for Christ to deliver people. This last strategy is to impersonate Christ and make them think their prayers are answered. You see what she just said there? What are those who are following God going to be praying for during this last crisis? During the Sunday law and everything else. What are they going to be praying for? For Christ to come soon and deliver them. And then all of a sudden somebody appears looking, talking, acting like Christ to deliver them. Unless you are very, very conversant with what the Bible says Christ's coming is going to be like, 
And unless you have studied this subject out, you're going to be deceived. That's what it says. Outright. It is going to be that strong a delusion. Satan will use every opportunity to seduce men from their allegiance to God. He and the angels who fell with him will appear on the earth as men, seeking to deceive. God's angels also will appear as men and will use every means in their power to defeat the purposes of the enemy. You know, we talk so much about this war behind the scenes. You know, God's angels, evil angels, behind the scenes, we can't see them, but they're doing their things. Here it says that they will be visible to us as men, and the battle will be much more out in the open, where we can actually see people going back and forth, and if we only knew those were really angels, not just people. Kind of interesting. Satan is surrounded by the evil angels and claims to be God, and he will work miracles of all kinds to deceive, if possible, the very elect. God's people will not find their safety in working miracles, for Satan will counterfeit the miracles that will be wrought. And what does that remind us of? Remember when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt? And Moses was told to do certain miracles? What were a few of the priests in Egypt allowed to do? Work some of those same miracles. God's tried and tested people will find their power in the signs spoken of in Exodus 31. They are to take their stand on the living word. So we don't look to miracles on the end. What do we look to? Only to God's word. Whatever it says in there, that's what we will follow. He has not yet reached the full accomplishment of his designs, talking about Satan, but it will be reached in the last remnant of time, says the prophet, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. They are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth into the kings of the earth and to the whole world to gather them together to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. So in that threefold group that it talks about in Revelation, remember the beast and the false prophet and the dragon, meaning the papacy, Protestants, Protestantism that has gone astray, and spiritualism, those three groups will come together to go against God's law. And who are they being led by, it says? It says by three spirits and demons are the ones who are actually leading them into this. Disguised as an angel of light, he will walk the earth as a wonder worker. In beautiful language, he, he presents lofty sentiments. So is he only going to be saying bad things, nasty things? No, he's going to present lofty sentiments. He's going to be saying things that seem beautiful, that exhibit love. Good words will be spoken by him, and good deeds will be performed. Christ will be personified. But on that one point, there will be a marked distinction. Satan will turn the people from the law of God. So even though he talks, walks, acts, everything 
exactly like Christ, even including talking about love and how we should love one another and all that. What's the one thing that will unmask him? Is that he will teach things against the Bible, against what God has already said. That's the only way we are going to know. He will declare that the Sabbath has been changed from the seventh to the first day of the week, and as Lord of the first day of the week, he will present this spurious Sabbath as a test of loyalty to him. So as Christ, he will say, unless you go to the day of worship that I have changed, you are of Satan. The time is coming when Satan will work miracles right in your sight, claiming that he is Christ. And if your feet are not firmly established upon the truth of God, then you will be led away from your foundations. It's not a question. That's a statement. You will be led away unless you are firmly on Bible ground. It is the lying wonders of the devil that will take the world captive, and he will cause fire to come down from heaven in the sight of men. He is to work miracles, and this wonderful miracle-working power is to sweep the whole world away. And one last statement before we finish, probably the one that we have heard the most. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, and Revelation is full of that word. If you go through Revelation 13, 14, 15, 16, and so on, the word deception and deceive is used many times there. So Satan's one last act is to deceive the world. As the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will appear to make it happen. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by anything that mortal eye has yet seen. The shout of triumph rings upon the air. Christ has come. Christ has come. The people will prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them as Christ blessed the disciples when he was here. His voice is soft and subdued, yet full of melody. In gentle, compassionate tones, he presents some of the same gracious, heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. He heals a disease, and then in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow the day that he has blessed. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. And the last sentence I want you to hear. This is the strong, almost overpowering delusion. So what is the strongest overpowering delusion? The last part of that last test is that you will be called blasphemers for going against God. Do you want to be called a blasphemer? 
You want to be called as someone who's going against God? I mean, that's what we as a church do, is we want to follow God, right? And yet you're going to be called blasphemers for not following what Satan has said. As we talked a minute ago, Ellen White says that those tests and those decisions that we are to make, we are to be making now. Because just like when you exercise, you, your muscles grow and you get stronger, same with our faith. As we make those decisions in our mind now that we are going to study the Bible and find Bible answers and then set ourselves firmly on what the Bible says, not only on the worship issue, but also on not believing Satan and when, uh, when he comes and what he does and, and not to be deceived by what he appears to be. Those are the decisions and the things that we have to study now and get in our minds. Otherwise, we will be part of those who will be deceived. So I hope that each one of us will make that decision today while we still have an opportunity. Let's bow our heads. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that you have given us your holy word, that it's available to each of us here and more and more to the whole world because you have predicted certain things to happen and you have warned us of things that are going to happen. Let us today, each one, spend time studying your word and learning the things that we need to learn and that we need to understand today and set our minds and our wills to do your will. We know that the time is coming when Satan will use every trick in the book and even some that aren't in the book to try to deceive us into being confused of what's happening. But be with us and keep us strong and show us through your word what is the correct way to follow you and that is by your word. Continue to be with us as we study and open up our minds and our eyes so that we may see. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. We know that there will be a time, Father, when we are unable to work anymore to warn those in the world. We pray that each of us may have that opportunity and take advantage of the opportunities to speak to those around us and to warn them of the coming deception that will be. Guide us. Take us through this coming week, each one of us drawing closer to thee, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.